Welcome to this episode, everybody, of Sabotaging Armin's Network. Yeah. 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 That's, That's my job, buddy. <laughs> that one is... Uh, That's very accurate. That one is, that is, is unfortunately very mm. accurate yeah. uh, on both the physical sense. See, here's the interesting part about this. This one, uh, courtesy of Patrick Edwards on Instagram, PWE1982, uh, sent us in early January. So way oh, before okay. Bowie was actually oh, wow. eating the okay, network. Okay, okay. Okay. So he's just referring to the the death of my network. Yes. Yeah. Like the professional network that I rely on to do my goddamn mm, job. Yeah. You didn't need those nerds anyways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. So uh that makes us saboteurs. Yes. That's sick name. Good job, yeah. guys. Yeah. Should we that should should that be the name of the podcast? Saboteurs announcing Nefitness. Nefitness. I think. I think. I think. Way worse. Nefitness. I think it's saboteurs. Right. I think it's pronounced saboteurs as well. I was going to say saboteurs. 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 I don't know what I said the first time. Saboteurs. Saboteurs. Like, like Disney Imagineers. Like the three saboteurs. The three saboteurs. Yes. Three saboteurs. Deja vu. The. Anyway, so speaking of sabotaging. That was adorable, oh, you guys. Gross. <laughs> Get that shit off of that band. Keeping That's disgusting. Uh, if, you, later. if you were just listening, uh, Armin is picking nits out of uh, out of, uh, out of uh, Chase's fur and eating them. Yeah, they're <laughs> delicious. And that's just what bros do. Yeah, I know. Nits, as it turns out, have a very buttery flavor. I actually have yeah. no idea what a nit is. The gorilla community. The, <laughs> <laughs> the gorilla community, like... Like the bear community no, or like the actual like the gorilla community? <laughs> actual Although gorillas. This, this, this podcast probably appeals mm. to bears. There might be right. a new category, by the way. There's bears, sure, but what would gorillas be? I think what gorillas are are oh. bears who get big muscles. All bears right. with big muscles are gorillas. I think gorilla, new category. the gorilla community already exists, but we're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> the gorilla, like one half of us is allowed to talk about it. The gorilla community is bodybuilders who don't shave their bodies yes oh. and who are totally into gay stuff yeah, yeah. I, other than that last thing i aspire to all of those things in <laughs> my life there is there's there's one thing that makes you a gorilla which is hairy delts and traps if you've got that yes. that yeah. crest of hair on the shoulders then you are at that next if level. you can if you can like sort of like mess the focus up yeah, yeah. on a shot and and look like you're potentially I don't know like a snow crested <laughs> mountain. Yes, exactly. If like if the or sun the is rolling setting, foothills. If the sun is setting behind you, and then there's just sort of this this aura, this rim light, this glow coming from you, of fuzz all around the entire silhouette of your Congratulations. body. Congratulations, you're, you're a gorilla. You might be a gorilla. <laughs> if, <laughs> uh, how can you be? How can you be doing fitness if you're too busy being a gorilla? <laughs> Yes, that, that'll be what we're called. We're now fitness gorillas here, guys. That's the new that's How do the you make thing. time for yep. fitness when you're busy picking nits of hair out of your bro's <laughs> exactly. back hair? Why do people, so many people <laughs> in the fitness industry use the gorilla shape, like the cartoon gorilla, mm -hmm. as their logo? Well, because it's the most muscular version of a thing that looks like us. Listen, it's terrible legs. for CrossFit. Yeah, I'll they have like that. really short legs. They're all vegan. Short yeah. legs and teeny balls. They have really small <laughs> balls. That's right. And a long thin pencil like penis i think it's like yeah right really no i think i, they, thought, I thought their balls like uh they got bigger as there was females present like uh, if, if there was other males around and it was their female their balls like enlarged i know chimps have big balls uh, i'm thinking of chimps yeah mm. i think you're thinking of chimps <sighs> same difference yeah i think gorillas have are like lions they have a they have a pride of of Women. gorilla bitches <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. One time I was on <laughs> a... Uh, <laughs> so they're small balls. <laughs> so they don't need to have big balls. They have, they've already proven... because they're spent 24-7. <laughs> they're like, I'm tired, women. I just want to play with my bros. <laughs> <laughs> just plumes of dust. Uh, is dust. Uh, as it turns out, and this is a real thing, you guys. It's a real thing, guys, that I heard on the Joe Rogan podcast, so it must be real. That's but true. Look that up, young Jamie. But uh, testicle size in animals is correlated with uh, the promiscuity of the females. Absolutely true. Mm. If the females are very promiscuous, all the men need big balls. Why? <laughs> you need lots of sperm to outcompete all the other sperm oh, yeah, yeah. simultaneously actually, I don't know in if that's that female. Absolutely true. I, just, I confirmed that without actually knowing have, the damn you, thing. So basically what you're saying is you have huge loads to wash out the loads of your competitors. Precisely. I this, 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 episode, is, no, actually, this is a real thing. thing yeah. has been talked about on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I've probably seen it somewhere else by some expert. I yes. read it in a book, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you, Joe Rogan. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that factors into the uh, the DMT driven mm. uh, uh, intergalactic space negotiations that are happening mm. for the future of the human race. There's mm. like the aliens are like, we only want the smallest balls. <laughs> yeah, well, they only have so much room on their ship. That's a good point. Yeah, a bunch of big ball motherfuckers. When you're sp- when you're doing like any sort of real space travel, the the thing is like every ounce of weight every kilogram of mass needs to be accounted for you betcha mm-hmm. and you cannot have more than uh you know maybe 2.2 percent 2.3 percent of balls of balls yes. on your on your airplane yeah a maximum airplane spaceship maximum four percent balls but some of that is contingency you're going to want a 20 percent that's right balls contingency in there just in case they get up there they start daydreaming about who knows what Who's the hot young lady now? Well, Kate Upton, let's say. I'm pretty old. The, the uh, thing and is, then your balls swell. You so. don't want to have, um, you don't want to be lacking balls when you need balls. You know what I mean? It's mm. better to have balls and not need them yes. than to need balls and not have them. That's right. You is what my grandmother always they said. They call that headroom. You're going to want some headroom in there of uh, balls. I don't know. I'm just saying stuff. Two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row we, we started, started with nutsacks. Yeah. Mm, Which, yeah. you know, by the way. At what point do we get concerned? Scale as nation, I'm a little disappointed. What I'm going to say I'm a little disappointed because I took our Does Siri Analyze Nutsacks conversation <laughs> and I clipped it and I put that on YouTube yeah. and it's gotten like no views. Of course not. Mm. And I, I can't I figure out whether my, my titling was wrong It might be. Well, it's not. What. I don't think the titling is wrong. I think the titling, if you have like naughty words in the titles, YouTube just doesn't recommend them to people. Yeah, they just suppress stupid. videos from being recommended. Because that was a great segment. It's like that. there was one of the videos that had 9-11 titled in it where we were talking about 9-11 conspiracy theories that also had no views. I just think <laughs> certain keywords they just mm. suppress. What I have realized, mm. though, is that I need to I need to start doing more clickbaity uh, sand highlight or clip like videos, those mm-hmm. short videos. Because almost every video that I'm posting at this point is getting f- like flagged as potentially not uh, advertiser suitable. And mm. I'm like, that is just... That's false. <laughs> That's absolutely not true. This is mm. suitable for all advertisements. This episode, by the way, mm-hmm. about uh, a nutsack headroom is brought to you by Disney, Disney. and their mm-hmm. new film. I don't know I if we can say squirrels. That. Also, <laughs> squirrels brought to you by the new the Marvel nutsacks. Studios film Captain Marvel in yeah. theaters now. I wonder if that titling thing. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> nutsacks, <laughs> God. I wonder if that titling thing's why my my highlight reel from Wadapalooza 
that was just focused on crotches throughout Wadapalooza. <laughs> Crotchapalooza! They have Dick algorithms that look for hungry isn't, shorts isn't, and isn't immediately more flag views. videos. Yeah. I had a lot of famous... Uh, a lot, of, a lot of famous crotches in that. Nice. Yeah, it was named the crotch. I think yeah, was the, the was the vibe that you're going <laughs> for. Um, to to kind of come back to uh, to the name of this this episode that we picked, the sabotaging Armin's network. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, guys, I, I've been thinking about this. I try and I try and inter inter in, inter engage. I try and engage in conversations with people on the engage. internet as best as I can because that's the point, right? The point is to like put this out there and then people are like hey you're totally wrong about this thing or hey you're totally right about this thing are they all french i don't know you know it's just something somewhere to go uh and i i've i've come to the realization that so many people who have really strong opinions about things Mm -hmm. have no fucking idea what they're talking about they sure don't yeah and I mean that in just a general you have no fucking idea what you're talking well, we about. We know sense. who you're talking about. Wink, wink. Anybody who's who's I don't know. Either yeah. way. Do you think that's surprising? That I am. So here's the thing. I I knew this was the case mm-hmm. beforehand because I exist in this world. Yes. And that is a huge part of what makes this world go around. So? Your uh, existence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and yet I was still caught off guard by by how committed so many people are. To their non-fact-based now, or or informed opinions about so many things, and here's specific examples. Mm-hmm. Like I saw someone, uh, I saw someone comment. I can't remember where it was. It was maybe YouTube, maybe Reddit. Usually, it, it doesn't. So it's either one of. It's usually one of those two, mm-hmm. right? It's usually either YouTube or Reddit. Yeah, it it's can usually because it, it could be a little God more anonymous, bless. right? <laughs> it's usually not Instagram because on Instagram I uh you, like, you have to follow me and then you have to respond directly to something that I'm posting and it like it pings me and everyone knows mm-hmm. that's how that works. And I feel like on Reddit and YouTube like they can kind of get away with it cuz it gets like lost in a bunch of different comments, but I had pe- someone basically calling what calling me like a shill. <laughs> which which I love that word, yeah, yeah, yeah. by a the way. A shill for who? For CrossFit. A shill for CrossFit. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a seat, and you guys could probably see that in mm-hmm. the shot, but Armin's actually sitting on piles of money yes. from HQ. They all have HQ yeah. stamps on them. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to go in a completely different direction. <laughs> I thought you were going <laughs> to say I was sitting on Greg Glassman's dick uh, right well, here. Also mm-hmm. that. Also that. That is that. his money. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wonder Greg Glassman's dick has a higher budget than this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, and, oh my and, God. And forgive me. Probably. It's also it's bigger. True. We wouldn't be able to fit it in the frame. Yeah. It's, it certainly probably smells better than this room. There's probably balms, lotions. We're talking a little bit of uh, cologne. See, and here's my move. I, I don't think he's putting that on every morning. He's busy. All right. So he has people lotion his his area, but and here's where it really here's where the thing is all of his underwear in advance has been coloned. It of course. is very fragrant down there. It's like a bowl of potpourri. You, you know what's like okay, so here's here's what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um you know how like CrossFit changes the fitter you get? Like at the top mm-hmm. end of the game, it's like totally different than what oh, yeah. normal people are doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't even know what that's like. Yeah. That's how it is. With Greg Glassman's balls, I imagine. Yeah, I yeah. just don't even know what it's like to be worth that much money yes. and also have balls. Well, uh, I, th- I think the two things correlate there. That you know, the uh, b- ball smell, pleasantness of ball smell, and income, direct correlation. Mm-hmm. 
Doesn't matter what else you have going on I don't for know. you. No, Matthew McConaughey's balls probably smell like old joints rolled in fucking. Uh, yes, but he o- but the but yes. he only eats raw organic food, and that just produces a nice I don't know produces a nice earthy plant like aroma that's different, but it sounds is somewhat pleasant. Is it, possible, is it possible that he's trying to make his balls stinkier? And the reason I say that is if you're Matthew McConaughey, mm. it's probably hard mm-hmm. to like, you know, do any get anything accomplished. Like I gotta read the script, I gotta memorize my lines. I can't. Why? Because I'm just fucking fighting off co-eds who are trying to get at my dick and balls all day long. I'm tripping over them, which could lead to knee injuries. And if you're leading an active lifestyle, that's gonna set you back and you're gonna lose some of your gains. How do you combat that? pungent balls because is it going to stop them no but if it's going to reduce the volume of girls who are Might going to slow them down well, he, he needs to make sure they they he needs to make sure they love him for him exactly do you think we need to make the next episode an intervention about our obsession with nut sex yeah no. yeah we definitely don't we definitely need to not be on on nut sacks every the, the first time? 15 minutes of every so episode Armin, i'm going to make a leap here and i'm going to say that the, the comments and things a lot of your your the things that you're talking about pertain perhaps directly to the comments under your video about dave Castro hashtag uh, no thanks hashtag no thanks is correct yes uh, and did he ever reach out to you no of course not I didn't I didn't think of course not I was surprised you were allowed to tag him because I saw a lot of comments in there and they were all very there was more so than any other video there was a whole lot of you're wrong Armin you are so fucking wrong about uh, and apparently so are, are you wrong I don't know. I, I guess a, a, according to a Sponge. lot of people who apparently know a lot more about this than I do, yes. Yeah. You remember the, the SpongeBob meme? The... Actually, we need Dave Castro in the CrossFit yeah. game That's exactly. because he's the best. That's exactly <laughs> it. And, and, but, but here's the thing that should be perceptually obvious, though. If you're trying to pick sides between who has greater wisdom, Armin or Dave Castro, if you listen to each of them speak for 10 minutes... Yes. Are you, is your real honest assessment going to be the smart guy who should be like running things is uh, is Dave Castro or Armin? So I mean, you're saying, saying that Armin should run the CrossFit you're game? You're getting way more words come per minute. We can definitely talk not only faster but also more in depth about nutsacks. Oh yeah, and that right there—that's two. That's two check marks that's in two. our column. Imagine, imagine a nutsack themed workout of the CrossFit Games. If you want that, if you want to see that, already been one. CrossFit audience. In a, in a strange way, aren't they all nutsack themed? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't the entire endeavor that is CrossFit nut, CrossFit nutsack themed? Jesus. I just wonder. It's the morning, guys. To, to come back to the to the Armin is a shill thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and real quick to recap, what was the thesis of that video, the David Ca- the Dave Castro video? For the, those who did not watch the it. idea of that Dave Castro video was Dave Castro has done a lot of really great things for the CrossFit Games mm-hmm. in terms of its development as like a competitive endeavor mm-hmm. and a spectator sport and the showmanship in presenting it. And yet he was uh, him handcuffed to the CrossFit Games will limit the growth of the CrossFit Games mm-hmm. and he should not come back because of that fact. Yeah. That was that was basically the thesis. Yeah. I think that one thing that you did nicely is to extrude the positive, many positive contributions that Dave Castro made with some of the things that he did that while it was also Dave Castro, it wasn't necessarily adding to the sport. Like Dave Castro could have been programming the CrossFit games. He could have been driving like the organization of that of those things from behind the scenes. He didn't have to build an entire media presentation a game show i believe is how you referred to it that is how around himself i think when he he really jumped the shark whenever he led the the bicycle race 
and he was wearing that stupid bandana, and he was leading everybody on their first lap like the pace yeah. car. Yeah. yeah, that's when I. Well, that's I, when I think various videos in and around that were part of the uh, persuasion that led Greg Glassman to conclude maybe, maybe this guy could get a smaller role. Yeah, just maybe. And and, and if anything, those comments, by the way, the, all the comments under the video are evidence of the fact that what I think Castro was endeavoring to do was successful to Absolutely. a large extent. He, to, especially the people who didn't and en- who entered into CrossFit after all of the you know the bad times with Castro some of those early much more um, combative days for the people who jumped in in you know 2013 or something like that who've never heard of the black box summit never heard of the black box summit they all think well he and and Greg Glassman had also taken a much 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 more behind the scenes role in CrossFit kind of 2013 14 15 to them Dave Castro is the CrossFit games he is in their mind the head of CrossFit he's basically i mean he's practically the guy who invented CrossFit he's synonymous with CrossFit and so he's being stepped away what he's he's stepping away he's the face of it and i think that he consciously by putting himself in front of the camera he consciously by making himself appear central to the games he made himself central to the very idea of CrossFit and I don't think people realize it's not that monolithic thing there's a lot of people who have been very central to the foundations of CrossFit who used to have much more um, uh, 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 public facing roles who all sort of took a back seat as one does except for one that's who right pushed himself further in front of the camera uh an example of that is someone who who laid the foundation for a lot of what the CrossFit Games media became, mm-hmm. and that's Tony Budding. Yeah. So Tony Budding, most people who are watching this have probably never even heard of him, but Tony Budding that is insane to me, which yeah. is crazy because da- Tony Budding used to be like so much more the face of CrossFit. Absolutely. Than all, and him and Rory were so much more the face of, of CrossFit than anyone else. You know, before Dave Castro was the the. the Okay, so before Dave Castro, it's hard to it's hard to almost envision what this was like. Yeah. Before Dave Castro was sort of paraded out on a podium as the quote director of the CrossFit Games and put in front of every single person as their main sort of, you know, conduit to this world of competitive CrossFit, mm-hmm. he wasn't that. He actually wasn't even really seen. Castro was an on the floor announcer at his own CrossFit games. It was like he was the event organizer. Mm-hmm. And when he was, he would uh, announce the events. He would tell the, he would like, you know, do a little bit of drama about telling the athletes about what's going on and reveal what the workouts were mm-hmm. in front of the crowd of like a few hundred people or a few thousand people. And then he would like call the, the, the floor. He would actually floor announce mm-hmm. and then he would walk away. And that was it. That was his job. Yeah. It was like, he ran the thing but he was very much like just the voice in that moment on that floor. He wasn't this like face of the of the of the mm-hmm. uh, games. In fact, in 2011, uh, the CrossFit Games open, uh, the li- announcements weren't live; they were pre-produced, and all of those announcements were done by Tony Budding, who was yep. the head of CrossFit Media yep. at the time. Wow! And Tony Budding created the framework that made the games media what it is today he he was a big part of 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 sort of delivering this idea of the show creating the like must-see tv aspect of it there's a lot of people involved in it and he brought in a lot of the, the 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 producers from other uh from other uh media 
backgrounds to help create and like sharpen what that image looked like. But that a lot of it came from this guy who no one knows now right now because Tony Budding was fired. He was like, oh, it's also interesting to revisit in this modern context, especially in the context of the last year and what's been happening with sanctionals. It's important to think back on what was it that Tony Budding was excommunicated for, Armin? What was he ousted for? It was creating a, compe- a, a another CrossFit competition, which was, of course, as was the way back then, immediately viewed as... Anathema. A, a, yeah, as, exactly. As like, anathema in that world, as completely something adversary. It was like uh, Daniel Plainview, a competitor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. It was like the Daniel Plainview view of things. And I, I have no idea how that sequence of events no played out. Yes, I have no. I, I have. I don't know how that a series of events played out behind uh, behind the scenes at all. So I, I can't say that you know why he separated. But we do know that he separated from CrossFit. Or I know they separated from CrossFit and he started Grid, which I don't think exists anymore. No, yeah, not yeah. in any professional sense. Because how could it? Right. Yeah. It's in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. There are. There are. Well, everything is in Florida. Yeah. Uh, a lot of crazy shit going on there. So yeah, Tony Budding set a lot of the groundwork for what became mm-hmm. the CrossFit Games media show, right? Um, and we we very briefly talked about this during our last live stream, uh, like that that watch along for nineteen point three. And uh, if you go back and watch the two thousand eleven open workout announcements and the two thousand twelve workout announcements, there is a lot of value to pre-producing this thing Mm -hmm. it looks pretty it doesn't look great it's like it's like shifty and weird and like you don't really know what what it is but you're looking at it with hindsight you're looking at it based off of compared to like 2017 open announcements 2018 open announcements but if you look at what they were able to do like 2012 dave castro that's the first time you see dave castro show up in front of the camera he's not introduced yeah. As Dave Castro, director of the CrossFit Games, mm-hmm. he's just the person telling you the workout. Mm-hmm. He just walks up and he goes, welcome to the 2012 CrossFit Games Open. Our 12.1 is AMRAP 7 minutes, burpees. Wait a minute, where, were, where was all the pausing? No, it was it was just he was just like he was literally was walking what, in what a clues gym. Was he dropping with the ter- with his his T-shirt? Did not fucking exist. Oh, okay. Did not exist. I'm sorry, I don't understand. I thought because how else would a CrossFit open announcement happen if it wasn't absolutely around him and his clues and T-shirts? Absolutely. And the 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 construction of the live open announcements as must see TV mm-hmm. uh, took away some of that. I yeah. think. I think people really love the live announcement because it's an exciting thing to like yeah. gather around and experience. And well, I, I understand that. The idea in principle is a good idea. And and the same way the same way we're talking about Dave Castro not being synonymous with the CrossFit Games, I don't think he's synonymous with the idea of doing a good live announcement. People are like, oh, with Castro it was great because it was a thing that really brought the community together and now it isn't. And I, I'm like, okay, no. Uh, but the idea of having a live announcement that brings the community together to see the workouts, to see some uh, athletes per, uh, perform, that's a good idea. It is a very good idea. The execution has always been bad, and as other media executions in CrossFit got better and better and better, part of the reason the open announcement always felt weird as shit is, A, there's an element of secrecy to it, uh, etc., but also because the person at the center of it was bad on camera. Absolutely. He was always bad on camera, and he almost seemed to be deliberately, aggressively antagonistic towards the idea of being good on camera. And you know what makes the open announcements exciting? It's not mm-hmm. the fact that the workout is being revealed live. Yeah. That's fine. There's some there's some intrigue to that. 
But the exciting part of it is what immediately follows that badasses doing the workout yeah. in the uh, in this environment for the first time. So the thing that makes the, fluff. the thing that makes the live open announcements mm-hmm. exciting isn't that suddenly the open workouts are being announced. It's that we're watching fucking competitive CrossFit. Mm-hmm. The thing that's exciting, the thing that we all like to watch people do, that's what makes it exciting. Not the fact that there's this dude telling you what the workout is. Yep. That part is just secondary. Hmm. Like the thing that makes the 16.2 workout announcement so fucking cool is that it's BKG and Dan Bailey in someone's garage doing this crazy-ass workout. Not that Dave Castro is sitting on a stool in front of a whiteboard drawing out the workout. That yeah. part is like, that's just, just like the fluff to this fucking thing. his moment in the spotlight. Absolutely. fucking lutely and, and so when you look at what made some of these workouts so fucking cool, you look at like 12.2. 12.2 is like this ascending snatch ladder. It's like 30 snatches at like 75, 55, oh, and yeah, then yeah. 30 snatches at yeah. 135, 95. 30 snatches 165 105 and then amrap snatches at like 210 and 145 or some shit and uh they did it at tennessee tech Mm -hmm. in the weight room with rich froning and dan bailey Mm -hmm. and he literally just that like the video starts and dave castro is like 12.2 is snatches and then he just says the workout, and then right there it cuts to like Adrian Bosman with Rich Froning demoing every version yeah. of a snatch that works and doesn't: muscle snatch, power snatch, squat snatch. You know, uh, muscle snatch to overhead squat if you really want to, but mm-hmm. you can't like clean it and press it. Like it's it's just so much more entertaining to mm-hmm. see that version of it versus like nineteen point three is int. A repeat. Yeah. It's like, like, I, it's okay, like, bro. Listen, it's like, listen, Dave, I don't know how it played in the room, but it didn't play well at home. Right. It didn't play well to all of us. It would be like if you're watching fucking uh, Sports Center and everything's crackling, and then like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to cut randomly to a guy who has Asperger's syndrome for 20 <laughs> minutes and just have him mumble through words. And, and Dude, uh, you know, it's like, what? You know. Here's, here's what also drives me just a little bit wild because. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm looking at this as a person who has been crossfitting for 10 plus years since the beginning of this fucking thing as like a competitive sport. I've watched all of the open announcements. Mm-hmm. I've been to like every CrossFit Games except for the first one or the second one or whatever. Like I've been there. I've seen it. I've seen how this thing has changed. And even, even my perspective has changed a little bit looking back mm-hmm. at how these things were. Now that I look back at like the change from... The 2012 CrossFit Games Open workout announcements to the very first live announcement, it the, the change is jarring. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch mm-hmm. 12.5, it's Dave Castro at the Home Depot Center, and he goes, we're going to announce this one from the Home Depot Center. And they set up the rig, and it's really fucking cool. It's in the tennis mm-hmm. stadium. You know, Jason Kleba versus Chris, Chris, uh, Chris Clever doing uh, you know the, the thruster chest of our pull-up ascending ladder. 13.1 starts off, and the first fucking thing you see, Rory McKernan pumping up the crowd. Cool. Yeah. And then he goes to kick off the 2013 CrossFit Games season, director of the CrossFit Games, Dave Castro. And it like it's like, why the fuck did we have to lay out yeah, a red yeah. carpet for this guy? Yeah, yeah. Why? It was fine before with him just being this guy who comes out and announces the workout and then mm-hmm. disappears off. Yeah. 
No one was complaining that they didn't have enough Dave Castro in 2011 or 2012. And to be fair, <laughs> we're, what we're complaining about is not just the you know the construction of the open thing. It's just we think that 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 attitude, that attitude that you that was that is exemplified by ladies and gentlemen, the director of the CrossFit Games, Dave Castro, I think is indicative of probably a lot of the problems that were going on within CrossFit that have led to this shakeup. It's sort of just a nice little manifestation of that that we all got to see. Absolutely. And looking back at it now, you start seeing like, oh, this might have been the tiny domino that started off this massive chain reaction that became the engine that is the games today, but also became the weight that is sinking it down mm -hmm. to the bottom. Mm -hmm. and, and it's worth noting that in those days, in those kind of pre-2013 days, when you thought of CrossFit HQ, you thought of Dave Castro, but you also thought of six or seven other people who were really central to the games. Uh, you thought of your, your uh, it was really central to CrossFit as an identity. And all of those people, again, slowly stepped back from the spotlight, as happens with, the, with uh, you know, as their, I'm sure, roles within the company expanded, except for one. Except yeah, for one. Everyone stepped back except for one, and that was Dave. So Anyway, you might be wondering exactly what it is which qualifies me and this opinion mm -hmm. that I have. And that, you know, you guys might also have yourselves. It's the mullet, right? And, uh, well, I was going to say absolutely nothing because you can have whatever fucking opinion you want. Mm -hmm. Except some opinions are certainly worth being weighed a little bit more. For example, mm -hmm. um, we work in professional broadcasting and media. Yes. Mm. Perhaps, given that background... Mm -hmm. We know a thing or two about professional broadcasting and media. I don't follow. We may have also mm -hmm. been specifically working in the field of professional broadcasting and media of fucking CrossFit. Mm -hmm. hmm. So perhaps when was this? we know a thing or two <laughs> about those specific things. Things. Yes. And perhaps some of us have also been involved in broadcast and media for real sports. Not just also, fake sports like CrossFit. Perhaps that is also the case. So we have comparisons that we can make. Unlike, unlike, in fact, unlike uh, the other half of this table, Cliff and I have lots of experience covering all kinds of sports for many, many years who have trajectories that are in many ways analogous to the changes that CrossFit mm -hmm. is undergoing now. Continue on. Who'd have thunk it? And, you know, I guess people lose sight. Like you mentioned the Black Box Summit. Yep. Um, people lose sight of... The the things that get swept under the rug. And again, okay, I know exactly Detail how this is going to go. Black Box Summit, yeah, yeah. for those I'm, of those who are listening. Well, before I, before I explain what the Black Box Summit was, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say right now, I'm just going to get ahead of it. Yep. I guess if you really want to hear this and think of me <laughs> as a shill because I'm telling this story as opposed to any other story of what's uh -huh. going on, sure. But here's, here's basically what the Black Box Summit was. The black box used to be a concept of, of, of what fitness looked like, right? You would put in an input into a black box within which you had no idea of what was going on, and then you get an output. You get an outcome mm -hmm. from that. And the idea was the input you put in would be like strength work and some conditioning, and something happens in the body, and then you have a fitter human being. Mm -hmm. And the reason why you use the black box model is because... On, a, on like a base physiological sense, for so many people, it almost didn't matter exactly what the physical, chemical changes were. What mattered was the input and the output. 
right? The input being some fitness work, the output being a healthier, fitter human being. Famous example that I love, just uh, just to we'll be quick about it, which was Greg Glassman, I believe, talking about a team of um, uh, elite skiers he had worked with somehow, and he's like, they, they he assessed all of their uh, strengths across many modal domains, found that the skiers were really bad at pull-ups. He had no idea whether or not pull-ups would actually, I don't know if he was directly involved, this was just something he heard anecdotally, were uh, how pull-ups would contribute to faster downhill times. But he then uh, got them all to work on their pull-ups and do pull-ups, and all of their downhill times went down. And he was asked, well, how is, what is it about the pull-up that makes downhill times? And he says, not only do I not know, I don't care. I just know that... <laughs> That if you increase your work capacity across broad time and modal domains, you will get better at whatever your sport is, and the outcome is all that matters. He's like, I don't care how it is. So anyway, just as a right, and so so the the concept of the black box, whether it's correct or not, Mm -hmm. that that's the idea behind the black box. It's just one way of looking at what you do in the gym. You just do some stuff, and you get fitter. And you can you can mess with those inputs and outputs as much as you want, and try and figure it out. But you know, from a simplest conceptual perspective you almost don't need to worry about that's the idea behind the black box the black box summit was a meeting of great minds in the crossfit space imagine if like today uh like ben bergeron cj martin uh uh nick shaw right he's the guy with rp strength uh and max max i don't know uh uh you know uh, the brute strength guys and uh, you know the who like the head of the, another person involved with I was like trying to think of training think tank, but I forgot his name. <laughs> yeah, Max Elhag. There you go. Yeah, uh, you know, like a bunch. Imagine if like the best coaches in the world from like weightlifting and CrossFit and the best nutrition coaches in the world showed up, and like you know the event organizers who were putting together all the sanctioned events showed mm-hmm. up and put together like a weekend with all the affiliate owners who wanted to be there to learn about their business to learn about their coaching to learn about you know the 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 physical aspects of training their clients and sounds every, pretty goddamn sinister sounds to me. pretty fucking terrible right yeah. who'd have thunk that anybody would want to participate in such an evil plan mm-hmm. so the black box summit was this meeting of minds and it involved a bunch of people uh who were the best at what they did uh in the space at that time for example greg everett who is a weightlifting coach, very good weightlifting coach, Catalyst Athletics, if you've ever heard of it, that's Greg mm-hmm. Everett. Um, and also Rob Wolf, mm-hmm. who uh, is credited with bringing paleo into the mainstream mm-hmm. and particularly bringing paleo into CrossFit. A person who, believe it or not, used to be synonymous with CrossFit nutrition recommendations. Absolutely. Back in the day. Absolutely. Back when Barry Sears and The Zone were like the only thing to look at, everyone said, oh, you can measure the quality or the quantity of your food and quantity was zone and then everyone had this idea of like kind of maybe eating cleaner but it mm-hmm. wasn't defined until paleo became a thing and that was mainly due i think to rob wolf i don't i don't think i'm overstating that rob wolf was a big big launching point for yeah, paleo. he was very early on the paleo thing yeah, yeah. yeah uh i think he got a lot of that from art devaney yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and he was very present on on CrossFit. Yeah, he was. Videos he being was, posted yeah. constantly where he's describing interactions with clients and about the qualities of food and a lot of. And while they also posted a lot of Barry Sears videos back in the day that were zone oriented, I you know a lot of the um, a lot of the the content like the CrossFit did, nutrition seminar it, was Rob Wolf. Well, yeah, it's like, exactly. it's like, imagine if you will where CrossFit's videos on nutrition were uh, spearheaded by a charming knowledgeable telegenic 
person mm-hmm. who was making frequent videos about nutrition that were useful for the community. Mm-hmm. You like, know, imagine that. Imagine not something CrossFit would want to happen, obviously, but uh, yeah. Uh, why would you? Um, anyway, so those were those were two examples. Uh, the world famous weightlifting coach mm-hmm. and world famous uh, mm-hmm. uh, nutrition guru, and uh, and then also Dave Castro. Showing up to the Black Box Summit because this was the Black Box Summit was meant to be this meeting of CrossFit as a corporation, HQ, mm-hmm. like, you know, the headquarters meeting with the best of the best in the space from the coaching, the the, the knowledge standpoint, the affiliate standpoint mm-hmm. and coming together to share best practices. That's the that was the entire point of the Black Box Summit. How many people were there, do you think? Uh, a few hundred. Wow. I don't think I don't think it was like it mm-hmm. wasn't like a huge knockout like every every affiliate owner showed up. But you had like, you know, maybe 200, 250 people show up to this thing for over the course of the weekend. I, I think that's that's a pretty good good showing. And then everything exploded. Mm-hmm. Essentially, during a uh, during a, a, a presentation, I believe it was Rob Wolf giving this presentation yep. during a presentation. He like sort of referred to some concept, but didn't just dis- define it. He just mm-hmm. referred to some concept, didn't define it. And uh, Castro sort of like called out from the back of the room for him to like, like kind of aggressively like, hey, get m- go deeper into this. Like, tell us more about this. Why doesn't this work or why is this the case or mm-hmm. whatever? And uh, Rob, having been a business partner with Greg Everett mm-hmm. and a bro, Thought it was Greg Everett and was like, "Don't worry, honey. I'll tell you about it. I'll, I'll tell you all about it later." Uh huh. And didn't realize it was Castro that he was talking to, oh, who, nice. who, who who had like yelled that out. Mm-hmm. And Castro was like, uh, "Not cool with that response," and shut the shut fucking that. thing down. Not not cool with a completely innocuous mistake. Right. And and turned it into what the fuck did you just say to me? And immediately blew it up stopped the presentations like a sane person would like a sane person <laughs> uh and you can read all about this i'm sure if you just google black box summit i'm, I'm sure it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll all come up sorry but basically the story the story escalates from there to uh you know like a bunch of these people like you know slowing things down bringing the temperature in the room down a little bit taking it outside to have a conversation about you know maybe what the misunderstanding here was and then Greg Everett and Rob Wolf are excommunicated from CrossFit. So <laughs> <laughs> how's that for a black box? You get yeah. this input, <laughs> slight mistake, uh, you know, uh, uh, two bros being bros. Yeah, and I, then the output out of this black box within which you have no 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 viewing is uh, is excommunication from CrossFit. Well, the other thing is just that, and, I, and who knows how these things happen, but it just uh, essentially a shouting match at a thing leads to two at that point, subject matter experts within the CrossFit kind of larger organization uh, just being just completely cutting all ties, being separated from CrossFit, and uh, and I guess CrossFit sort of just circling the wagons and standing by Dave Castro. Meanwhile, all of us in the community at the time, the much more the much sort of smaller and more connected CrossFit community at the time, were like. We liked those guys better than we liked the psychopath who yelled at them and made them go away. And so on some level, we've kind of been waiting for CrossFit to cut ties with that psychopath for a long time. But it was unfortunate they couldn't do it. And you know why? Because the CrossFit games every year are held on Dave Castro's parents' ranch. 
oh wait, they aren't anymore at all. And yeah. that was at the time still a really relevant factor with why they circled the rat wagons around him. If I'm, re- if I recall, yeah. I'm uh, that's pure, pure speculation on my part. Yeah. Pure speculation. And he, on my part. here is also another odd thing. Now, none of us were there to see it, but. Of the story, the story that Armin just told is the story that circulated from, I guess, Wolf and uh, Everett there, and it looks really bad for Castro. And if there was another side to the story that makes Castro look good, that was never articulated yeah. by anybody. Yeah. So there nope. was no, there was no alternative explanation that <laughs> made from CrossFit really that made Castro look good or justified in doing that. And my guess is that Armin, being as connected as he is, is hearing it from the horse's mouth. Am I wrong, Armin? Uh, you're not wrong. Um, but I, I will tell you that there, there's much more to this, and there may be potential, you know, uh, there, there could be some, there could be some mistakes in my retelling of this story. No, right? I haven't, I haven't heard this story in nearly ten years. This happened in two thousand nine. I believe wow. it was Sweetheart, not Honey. It could have been recall. Sweetheart. Yeah, it could have mm. been Sweetheart. And ooh, that one does cut a little bit more. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reading. You can, and you can Google this if you just Google Black Box mm-hmm. Summit. The story that you're looking for is the Black Box Summit or how I got fired from the CrossFit Nutrition Cert by Rob Wolf. Yeah. And, uh, and in all fairness, Rob Wolf has become virulently anti-CrossFit in subsequent years, which I can't get on board with. You know, he's, you know, uh, like kind of tried to dance on their grave a little bit when the hostile takeover thing was happening, which I'm not absolutely cool with. Absolutely, he did. He, oh, was like, he was like, thank God, fuck yeah. these guys. But in all fairness, if, if, if some crazy person stands up and screams you out of the organization and then that organization circles their wagons around that crazy person, um, I would understand feeling a bit bitter. Can't be on board with his anti-CrossFit fitness since then but at the same time it's still a shitty situation and yeah there might well have been i believe there were some things going on behind the scenes with rob wolf not getting along with greg glassman and disagreeing about nutrition philosophies and all that so it didn't come completely completely out of nowhere in terms of them siding with castro over rob wolf but uh it's (laughs) so so just to give you an idea of of who is who is present to uh to to have mm-hmm. a, a say from HQ. Here mm-hmm. are the here are the main people that uh that that Rob Wolf mentions being there, right? Uh you know, they, they basically talk about how you're you're trying to create sort of like a, a a better business practice for a trainer, for a business owner, for all that stuff. That was the entire point of the black box, uh the black box summit. And uh and not only was director of training, which is what his title was back then, Dave Castro, yeah. director of training, Dave Castro was there, but also media czar, Tony <laughs> Budding, head of media, Perfect. and yeah. Russell Berger oh, snap. Mm. was the was the other main HQ person out there. And uh, he goes, uh, uh, he brings up this interesting point. Um, he goes, anyway, Russell asked many questions throughout the weekend, always after either Tony or Dave leaned over and whispered in his ear. Russell, I believe, does own an affiliate, which is an experience that neither Dave nor Tony have. Hey-o. And the emissaries from HQ are interesting in that none had extensive training experience. None have any strength and conditioning education outside of CrossFit and are largely incapable of articulating any nuanced methodology in strength and conditioning and none have a background in anatomy physiology or exercise science in fact craig glassman never had a formal education in this material but has formidable self-taught knowledge for most part 
HQ staff does not reflect that knowledge base. Mm. That's wow. that's brutal. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely brutal. This is also, I think, a a, uh, a, a an emotionally charged yeah, like uh, salt article. fresh in the wounds. Oh yeah, yeah. salt. Yes, yes. Very fresh wounds. Everything very very. So the the exact moment, and I, I the reason why yeah. I want to get into this is because because this is really this is really specifically appropriate yes. for this moment that we're talking about. Uh, on the second day after lunch, uh, you know, they had they had spent the morning with Rob talking about paleo mm-hmm. and talking about how zone is pretty garbage mm-hmm. and that paleo is a much better you know, methodology. And he was kind of told aside, he was pulled aside by Castro and told, stop talking shit about zone, mm-hmm. right? You have to stop talking shit about zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, after lunch, uh, Everett, Greg Everett came up to talk about weightlifting as it deals with top level CrossFitters improving their performances. And he goes, uh, he had, Greg had num- numerous photos in his PowerPoint presentation, one of which was Annie Sakamoto doing a barbell clean. This was a photo that HQ had used on CrossFit.com as an example of quote-unquote good form. Um, and Greg Everett pointed out the shortcomings of this technique displayed in the photo. A bit later, Greg showed a photo of Nicole Carroll doing a medicine ball clean with a form error that Greg would later explore in depth. When this photo came up, Greg said, I'm not going to get into this right now. And Dave Castor yelled out, No. Get into it. <laughs> Greg thought this was Michael Rutherford. Rutherford, Coach Rutt, is the guy who came up with the concept of the black box ah. and said, not now, sweetie. Oh, so it was Greg who said, not now, sweetie. Yeah, yeah. that's how it Okay. None of us no, no, it. It was the game it was of Rutt, telephone. It was, it, was, it was Rutt that said, uh, not now, sweetie. He goes, either way, Dave thought he'd been disrespected and yelled out in the middle of the lecture, oh, there was only 70 people, attended by over 70 people from around the world at an event that was not HQ-sponsored or endorsed, to Greg Everett, quote, fuck you, you fat fuck. <laughs> and all of this is on film. <laughs> <laughs> so we went from sweetheart to fuck you, you fat fuck. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. Um, so there's, there, there's, uh, there's a lot here. Wow. There's a lot here. Uh, there's a lot here that goes into more specifically the uh, the 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 real sort of like virulent language being used, um, the the insanity of the entire situation, yep. the escalation and how quickly it escalates and what it turns into later on. And if you read it, obviously, like Kyle mm-hmm. mentioned, it is a one-sided example, mm-hmm. right? It's it's Rob Wolf's perspective on how things yeah. went. It's probably the least generous interpretation. It is absolutely the least Dave generous. Gaster- and, and we we will readily admit that. But what's what's the counter narrative that would explain all of these things? Uh, what what is what is the other thing? I, I don't know. What, I don't what, know what's what the it good is. explanation. I don't know what the other explanation is. Um, that fuck card's always so hurtful. Fat fuck is I'm is rough. For Greg, yeah. yeah, that's that's hurtful. That's a that's a that's a harsh. Those are harsh. Right. Those are harsh f's. I think at the time a lot of us kind of viewed uh, Dave Castro like he was uh, Prince Joffrey on Game of Thrones. You know, mm. it's like he's central. But we kind of maybe wish he wasn't as central as he was, but everyone has no choice but to kind of tolerate his participation at a high level in everything. And so then later on, of course, he was poisoned with cake, um, you know, and that's basically what I think that's kind of an encapsulation of everything that's been happening with CrossFit is it's like poisoned cake. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I don't want to rail on this too hard. I mean, we've been we've been talking about this for a long time now yes. during the show, and I, I it all started with this idea that I'm a shill for CrossFit, and yeah. I guess I just proved it. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. I don't mm. know. I don't know. Yeah. I think I think, I think it's it's just fascinating to me uh, to to bring this back is 
there are so many people with such strong opinions and I love it because it gives me people to talk to and have conversations mm-hmm. with. But if you're, if your first go, if you're like straight opening salvo is to just call someone a shill because they don't agree with your perspective. I think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice, not just the other person. You're just doing yourself a disservice because you're not even opening up to the, to the potential of having a conversation about what this entire thing could could be just because mm-hmm. someone doesn't agree with you doesn't mean that they're they're you know looking at it from a different perspective mm-hmm. and i've i've mentioned this in multiple fucking videos i am not necessarily the most optimistic human being on the planet i i present optimistic opinions about this because i have to fight my first gut reaction that all of this is like not necessarily going to work. The more mm. I think it through, the more I see the potential of it, yeah. the more optimistic I get, the more conversation I have with people behind the scenes, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to progress the sport, where they're trying to move. Like, you know, my intuition is to hate something that changes mm-hmm. immediately. That's my, my gut reaction yeah. is like, this isn't what I'm comfortable with and it's not what I saw before. Yeah, yeah. And therefore it must not be good. And I, I have to actively fight that. And I just want people to kind of see the fact that I'm not uh, – God, what did one person say? One person looked at that video, that Dave Castro video, and was like, yeah. look at Armin. This sucks. He's like kicking Castro while he's down. Like this is the first time I've ever heard him say anything negative about Castro. I was like, the first time you've ever heard me say something negative about Castro? Hey-o. What in the what? <laughs> at, this, this might be the first video you've ever watched of mine. Yeah. Because uh, in 2009 – at the CrossFit Games, here's a perfect example. 2009 at the CrossFit Games, OPT, James Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. uh, former CrossFit Games champion, 2007 mm-hmm. CrossFit Games champion. Mm-hmm. He had to withdraw from the 2009 CrossFit Games before the final event. And no one was really given any information. There was no reporting. There was no like situation mm-hmm. where like you could just go on Twitter and see what... Uh, no one was writing articles about this shit. I just... I was standing in the crowd. I had the leaderboard up in front of me. I knew where OPT would have been. He was like in the top 10 at that point. Mm -hmm. And they're introducing the people who who have made the cut to the final heat. Mm -hmm. And I knew that OPT should be there. And then there's no response. There's no like Dave Castro is introducing all the competitors coming into the final heat. And no one says anything that OPT isn't there. Mm. And I was like, does I was, I like leaned. I was like, does anybody know what happened to OPT? Like what's going on? Like where, where's he at? And no, no one, no one responds. I was like, I was like, what happened to OPT? Like mm-hmm. I yelled it out, and no one responds. I yelled out louder. I was like, what happened to OPT? Mm-hmm. And Castro turns and he goes, OPT is James Chill is withdrawn from competition, and just like walks away. I was uh, like, you weren't gonna say anything. You weren't gonna like talk. Like this is this is like a competition. Like yeah. you weren't just gonna. You're just gonna like blow over the fact that one of the former fucking champions like is not participating in this competition anymore. Yeah. Like for for no read. Like you're just gonna obfuscate that point mm-hmm. and not bring that up that's a good word thank you nice. <laughs> and and you know like th- there's there have been there have been situations for years if the black box summit is not enough fucking proof for mm-hmm. years that you know negativity well-deserved negativity from outside of the nice you even <laughs> looked and brought it up dictionary <laughs> obfuscate strong nice. well-deserved negativity from outside of CrossFit HQ has been placed on HQ's shoulders. And and in all fair... Oh, go ahead, Cliff. Oh, sorry. I have, I have an excellent idea for a second 
a second gig for Dave Castro to do, by the way, if the whole work for CrossFit HQ doesn't work out. And I'm actually serious about this. A The Ranch Throwdown. Yeah. He runs a throwdown on his ranch, just as one of those uh, independent sanctions. There's angels. a lot of space there. He can run around. He can play with other Daves. He can do uh, all the live announcements himself there. Wow, that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That'd be wild. It um, it's a good a place for a throwdown. Just, uh, just charge $1,000 to come compete at it, and yeah. people would pay. Yeah, to just, re- the just, they're just games, it, please. It's like a it's like a rock and roll fantasy camp, but it's just the uh, like two thousand nine CrossFit Games just playing out over and over and over again. You can participate <laughs> in just it. Cut out posters of Rich Froning. Cut it's out like, posters of Jason Kalipa, yeah, yeah. like out of uh, Home Alone, like paper cutouts doing yeah. the workouts. But, yeah, but to give to give you Armin a little bit more credit, that it's not just you know. Um, just kind of blind optimism that's leading you to kind of think that a lot of these changes are good, et cetera, and be critical of, of this is that we have been present for many different phases of what CrossFit is, and we saw something growing that was very, very good that's, that has many sources, not just Dave Castro. We saw something good growing, and then we saw that being coupled with many, many things, especially with regard to how uh, CrossFit media was handled, especially with how the adversarial relationships that CrossFit had with any outside entities that were trying to start competitions that seemed to not be growing CrossFit, but we watched it actively strangle aspects of the community. So it, we find it funny now and can speak with reasonable confidence when people are like, what? Sanctionals opening up this other part of the community that was strangled to death, getting rid of a liability that has caused many problems in the past. You guys think this is positive. That's insane. And we're like, no, we have good reason to believe that these things are positive changes because we've seen some of the negative impacts that they have had. We have, And just working in media, we've watched as various other organizations and things have attempted to find... Uh, a space has attempted to support the CrossFit community, have attempted to carve out their own space, and been strangled by CrossFit. So, again, the idea is that they're kind of now, for the first time, taking the handbrake off of a community that was right there and ready to go. So, that is why we're optimistic that this is all going to lead to lots of positive stuff. And a lot of people bring up this idea that. That's his new nickname, by the way Dave Handbrake Castro. <laughs> A lot of people bring up this idea that um, Greg Glassman hates the CrossFit Games. And I don't know, um, you know, I'm sure maybe in, in he's, I mean, I don't know if he's ever come straight up and said, I hate the CrossFit Games. But the conversations that I've had with him makes it sound less like he hates competitive CrossFit mm. and more like he really is not a fan of how competitive CrossFit became synonymous with what CrossFit is. Yeah. Um, secondarily from a spectator's point of view I definitely know for a fact he hated watching some of the CrossFit competitions he just mm-hmm. thought it was really fucking boring yeah um, so and in fairness many of the workouts in fairness, were really fucking boring yeah I mean his his example of like the team competitions mm-hmm. being like not only under spectated but also like overblown mm-hmm. is absolutely fucking true but either way I, I don't feel think like we were hitting that point a lot long before yeah. any of this stuff. Long before you were on the 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 the, uh, the, the payroll pay, for CrossFit HQ. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because you know they fired all of their CrossFit yeah. Games media and gave you all that money and gave me all of that money, which is why you're getting to see uh, such high quality productions out of me sitting in my. This is all set. Yeah. yeah. So this uh, this ca- that's which is why this camera is jiggling so goddamn yeah. much. As it turns out, Armin is getting all that money for himself, but not going into the podcast. It's just coke and whores. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And like six different Volkswagens. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah, it's nice. 
I live you'll that, see, I live you'll that see life. three of them out there, all Armands. I live that life. Um, <laughs> yeah, because if if Greg Glassman um, hated competitive CrossFit, I can I can assure you with one hundred percent confidence, there is quite literally nothing that would stop him from just deleting it from the face of the world. Yeah, because. He owns the fucking thing because he has big dick energy. It's like if Amen. you if you okay so like you move into an apartment. Ball energy. Let's big say you move energy. into an apartment and uh, you like you know furnish that apartment and you get this chair from Goodwill and I'm you with like you so far you like refurb it or whatever maybe go to a, an upholsterer and they get it reupholstered oh, and it's so really awesome. nice and then suddenly you know maybe five or six years down the road you're like you know what this chair that kind of brought the room together. It no longer brings the room together. I hate this chair now. You wouldn't just keep the chair in your fucking house for the rest of your <laughs> life. You would get rid of the fucking chair. Yeah, yeah. In this analogy. I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> Have you seen my back room? <laughs> now, what I'm saying. <laughs> not you guys. No, not you guys. My point is, my point is that if Greg Glassman hated the fucking CrossFit games, he would literally just been like, you know what, guys? Deuces. CrossFit games are out. We're fucking yeah, yeah. done. Because... Uh, that's really all it would take. Yeah. And so I think there's I think there's this misunderstanding that just because he doesn't like the games as they are slash were, doesn't mean that he hates the games yeah. in general or hates just. I think he's bored of athletic CrossFit, fitness CrossFit, right? Yeah. But he's not, or uh, I'm sorry, competitive CrossFit. But he's he's not necessarily uh, you know someone who's going to shut it the fuck down. You know, and maybe it, it relates to some of the old things. Um, you know we that we liked about cross i mean I remember in, in the crossfit in the early days of crossfit there was this idea of it being um you know like oh like it's functional fitness you can run up hills and do workouts in the world and it as competitive crossfit began to become more central then crossfit at least to me felt like or at least how it was representing itself was more about you know, um, 300 pound snatches and handstand walks and uh, legless rope climbs on some level and less about the idea of the people who with the small boxes bringing the community get together, yada, yada, yada. And I love the idea that that, that, that high bar is there and it's inspirational. The people who can, you know, uh, run uh, whatever the 500 pound back squat and the sub five minute mile and all of that stuff. That's really awesome that that exists. But it wasn't always the whole of the definition of what CrossFit was. And I feel like if anything that Greg Glassman is probably having issue with, it's not even so much this how central the games themselves are, but it's how central a group of about 25 people have become synonymous with the identity of CrossFit. It's like he. The NBA, like like basketball, was very very popular, and it's played in by lots of different organizations that all eventually feed into the NBA. And the whole of ba the whole of the NBA is not defined, or the whole of basketball is not defined by just like twenty five guys. And I think that you know, if you're trying to change health, if you're trying to change the way in which people in gyms across America and the ways in which in people's kitchens they're approaching fitness having it just be about people like high level Olympic lifting being like what is central to the identity of CrossFit seems like it doesn't jive with that message or can become a distraction from that message. And I get it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what if it were like the world's strongest man? It wasn't a live event. It took place in a new <laughs> African country secret because they have fewer cell phone cameras every <laughs> year. 
And what if it was just a freak show where just the people who are doing that, where, where it was understood, this is the one aspect I want to preserve, where the people who are doing it competitively, you don't look at them as, I could be that guy. You look at it as, wow, those are some super freaks right there. I'm going to continue like doing my normal training, but wow, look at, look at those guys. They're nice and weird. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a healthier attitude. So when point. I see when I see you know Nick Urankar and BKG and all that stuff in person, I'm like, wow, those guys are super freaks and they are awesome looking. Zero part of me has any has any thoughts, notions, aspirations of being any get, getting any part of that juice mm-hmm. for myself. And what I don't want to make it sound like is that there is no value to having cool fucking media of like sexy workouts Mm -hmm. and superhumans doing cool shit yep there is a lot of value there the thing that got me into crossfit was one of those crossfit games uh not even games media just a crossfit video and it was josh everett doing king kong there you go that video of everett doing king kong defined one of the reasons why i started doing crossfit i was basically watching this guy who was essentially being batman I was like, this dude is training the way Batman would train. Yeah. If Batman needed and to fucking train, the way Batman would in fact train in that one movie. Absolutely. I was like, this this guy is ridiculously strong and can also control his body through space. Mm-hmm. What more could I ask for? Yeah. And that that was one of the things that that uh, clicked with me on like an ideological level. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is sort of like prime human being training as opposed to just like aesthetic training which i i did never i never really clicked with yeah uh just going to the gym and getting a good pump not no now i now i enjoy that but you know back then um and so i think there's a lot of value to that but what is that video that video isn't highly polished it's not highly polished at all workout Mm -hmm. porn that video looks really fucking cool because of two things one, Josh Everett is doing something superhuman at the time, which seemed impossible. Two, it has a fantastic song by the game called California Vacation. Dope. <laughs> and it's sick. Was it licensed? Fuck no, it wasn't no. licensed. Are you this kidding? is 2008. This yeah, is like yeah. YouTube had just started. No one was licensing shit. I'm surprised that video still exists. It's probably because the game needed the money. It probably. They probably my, just cut him a $500 check. While, while my our, my first video uh, that, that got me into CrossFit, that got us into CrossFit, was I think Greg Augmentson and Andy Sakamoto doing Fran, that video, um, which was crazy. I remember the identity, though, of, of, of the community was all of these awesome lo-fi videos that were being produced by the very people who were getting out there into the community and trying to make fitness happen it was pat sherwood's paleo uh paleo chronicles Chronicles. which is basically in a before youtubers were as big of a thing as they are now it was just a vlog where he would point a camera at himself while he's in airports and shit and just talk about what it's like eating paleo when you're out in the world or or, or, zone chronicles i'm sorry zone chronicles that's right although he did he did a like half carb double fat zone or something yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. does not zone anymore it doesn't matter either way it was just basically a crossfit vlog not unlike the ones uh that are being produced now by uh, Chase504. Make sure you subscribe. And, uh, and uh, Arm and Hammer TV. Make sure you subscribe. And uh, stuff like Rory and Tony Budding, like in a van, going around to different gyms and hitting workouts and all sorts of stuff. And it's like uh, guys be- wearing like shitty button-down shirts behind a makeshift desk 
is cool and all, but it's not. Uh, I don't think without that, it, it, I've we've been watching long enough to to the so that we know that without that there is still a crossfit games that was a relatively recent phenomenon and i don't miss it that much yeah you know what it was like two or three years ago when the games media machine was running at full steam and they were we were we were seeing videos come out of crossfit yeah. hq that were pretty cool to watch but everyone was like man i just wish i could see more of whoever mm-hmm. name the fucking person yeah. i just wish i could see me- more of them Guess what the environment we're in right now? Josh Bridges has a vlog. No Olsen has a vlog. Yep. Rich Froning has an entire fucking media machine out of Dre Strom Fitness called Chase Mayhem. Has a vlog. Chase has a vlog. Craig Ritchie is bigger than he's ever been, and he's yep. doing cooler shit than he's ever done. Yep. Uh, you name, like, Training Think Tank has a media machine mm-hmm. out, of, out of camp. Like, this entire thing is like, like, this fucking, this situation has given everyone what they were asking more of. They're like, yeah. I want more insight into the day-to-day lives of Tia Claire Toomey and Noah Olsen. Well, guess fucking what? They have YouTube channels where they upload their fucking days now. Yeah. Like, surprise, you can watch this shit. Whereas before, yeah. you were like, oh my God, please, sir, may I have another video from you? Like, mm. please, please give me another video. I just want another eight minutes of workout porn. It's like, now you can get yeah. so much and of this fucking really stuff. And if you really miss the two guys standing behind the desks... Guess they what? They have their own fucking They're YouTube still there. Channel. Not only do the two guys still stand behind the desk, watch them. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Inside Elite Fitness. It's cool. Great. A desk you that can... is now low enough that you can see their balls. I think if they you raised, want. I think they, they, fixed raised, the, they raised fixed the desk, the desk which okay, is total, okay. total shame. They should have kept it low. Yeah. But you can also still see the same fucking workout porn from the same fucking producers yeah. who were making it before. Mm-hmm. And now, workout instead ball. of. Various people trying to get into the CrossFit space getting uh, cease and desist notices from CrossFit. They're sharing their content, exposing it, getting it out there, supporting the community. How is that a bad thing? How is that a bad thing? I don't understand. What is missing? Fucking get it. Literally, what is missing? Yeah, man, there's like way too much content to even watch. That's that's the problem now. Now the problem is like, I don't even know what to fucking watch. I I literally just watch uh, ASMR videos now (laughs) instead because at least it's 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 because because you can only be so hard for so long. (laughs) You need something to calm it down. That could be your niche. ASMR CrossFit oriented videos like you close to a microphone like rubbing chalk into your hands Hello. and like you know welcome to this work on the download don't give it away to everybody else <laughs> don't give away the game plan today we're gonna be working on our sandbag cleans <sighs> clink, 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 clink. i actually have an okay clink, idea clink. for an asmr video it's just an eight hour loop of someone rowing that's it <sighs> thing could work thing could work you, you, would, you would loop it eventually but i think that, that the steady rhythmic sound all that uh-huh uh-huh. I, Pleasant I we, neutral expression on their face. We're slowly revealing we have no idea what ASMR videos are. No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought the A in ASMR. Nope. Okay. So <laughs> anyway, now that we've spoken for that for over an hour, I just <laughs> there's a lot to to dissect. There's just so many things that is on my mind on a reg basis. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, before we before we shut this down, I think it's worth spending like 20 minutes talking about you know maybe some fitness stuff. Or wasn't that all fitness talk though? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, speaking. prescient fitness. I mean, stuff. really, if anything, we should talk about movies and balls for the last twenty minutes. Uh, all right, two minutes or less. Chase and I did nineteen point three, mm. <sighs> and it went terribly for both of us. <laughs> yeah, um, I did talk it for longer than two minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, guys, have fun. It went Stretch terribly for both of us. 
and uh, is absolutely just a factor of neither of us being very good at strict handstand push-ups. Yeah. There you go. Turns out, if you're not good at strict handstand push-ups, this when there's a problem for you, 50 yeah. of them programmed in the middle of a workout, yeah. you're not going to make it through. Yeah, yeah, you don't suddenly get better. Yeah. I have an even worse problem, which is if you start this workout and you're not very fit, as it turns out, that 10-minute time cap is aggressive <laughs> and about... Two, uh, two. I got the, I got through the uh, lunges like three something minutes. Like okay, cool. Take another three ish minutes on the box step ups, and I'll be right onto the handstand post. After about two box step ups, I realized, oh shit, I am not finishing these before the time <laughs> cap. That's just not that's not in the cards. Mm. Turns out box step ups after doing a bunch of lunges are pretty tough if you're not uh, if you're not in shape at all. Pretty tough. Pretty, pretty Listen, tough. I knew going into this workout that to do fifty strict handstand push ups, I would need about. Nine minutes and forty-five seconds, mm. and so uh, fast. I uh, I did the first two movements as fast as I could, but they were not in they were not completed in fifteen seconds. Mm. So I knew getting to the wall that I had already I had already lost it. There was no uh. way I was getting through it. So uh, yeah, I had big I, shocker. I had a great plan as well. I knew the same thing. I knew that I've never done more than. Uh, I've never done more than 50 handstand push-ups in 10 minutes, mm-hmm. kipping or strict. Yeah. I've just never, mm. I just, I don't, I've never been that good at handstand push-ups. And so uh, I knew that there was no way I was going to get through them, but I thought I could get deep into them. My strategy was this. I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking send it on those lunges. I'm going to go real ham and mm. I'm going to hang on tight during the step-ups because how slow could those get? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to give myself, I'm going to give myself like, like I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go as fast as Chase did. And uh, so I'll give myself like maybe four minutes, mm-hmm. like maybe four and a half minutes to get to get these this handstand pushups. And I'll get like yeah, 30. You, you don't want to rush. Well, I'm, I'm super fit. Right. Yeah. I can get like 25, 30 of them. Maybe. Here's what happened. I fucking sent it on the uh, first half of that 200 foot of lunges, dropped the dumbbell and said, oh, God, I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately cramped. Like, it, every part of me cramped. Chase was my judge. He I, saw I it was, happen. Yeah, and I yeah. thought it was actually on your, you're about to start your your fourth lap. Was it the last? Oh, yeah, okay. It was the last lap. So I made it 150 feet. Uh-huh. made it 150 feet, and he sat the dumbbell down and started moving towards the box. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he thought he was going to start his step-ups then or if he was just going to take a seat. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, one more lap. And he goes, I am so tired. <laughs> and I, that's when I like looked at the clock and I was like, oh, wow, he is moving really. And then I was like, oh, that's really close to my tie break time. That's right. And he still hasn't done that's the right. box step up. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I toughed out that last 50 feet like a, like, you know, like obviously the Navy SEAL champion mindset that I have. Yes. Uh, and uh, through the box step ups. And they I, weren't that bad. I got into the box step ups. And I was like, okay, the first 10 are going to hurt. It's going to be a little slow, but I'm going to get my pace. And this isn't going to take very long. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be able to do this. And I thought I was doing really well. I felt like I was going super fast. I, in fact, I remember when he got to like 35, he was counting for me. He got to 35. And I was like, oh, fuck, 15 more? Let's blitz through this shit. And I sped <laughs> up. And I was like, all right. And my back was to the clock. And I finished my last step. And I was like, by my calculations, <laughs> <laughs> I should be. Right around the 520 mark, <laughs> 530 mark, maybe. Like, I'm definitely ready for this. I'm fucking, I have like four minutes to do Arm as many handstand push ups as I can. Did you go faster than you thought? I put the dumbbell down on the box and I turn around and the clock says 652. And I said, Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that was not what I thought it said at it, all. It sounded more like he went, 
Ha! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, he is, uh, he is entertained by his lack of fitness. Oh, it was, it yeah. was amazing. Because here's what that workout was. And correct me if I'm wrong, Chase. That workout was uh, lunges and step-ups as fast as possible with a cool-down of some strength work with handstand push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This entire the entire workout was lunge and step up as fast as you can, and then while you're cooling down, why don't you do a quick, couple quick strict handstand pushups? Cool, yeah. For for uh, basically everyone that's doing this workout, that's what that workout was. That's literally how I treated it, except that the time cap happened. (laughs) I gave up on the box box step ups. Well, I went through all the trouble of drawing that stupid fucking box (laughs) on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) I might as well do one. So I did. I did. I did one chalk on the ground. Yes. Oh, so hopeful. (laughs) So hopeful. What's the point? Because you know rules are meant to be followed, Uh Kyle. Uh Uh huh. Yeah, I, I I love I I I love how hopeful that was of you. That's like <laughs> there's like there's a beautiful naivete <laughs> yeah. to that moment of like you look at the lunges, you look at the step ups, and you look at the handstand push ups, and you're like, not only am I gonna make it, I have to follow the rules here. Otherwise, I mean this doesn't count. If I do exceptionally well on these, I don't want anyone doubting the standards that I implemented to measure if myself. If I don't if I don't have the box, this doesn't count. Yes. oh yeah um and 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 so i found myself at the end of 10 minutes with only 14 handstand push-ups completed (laughs) yeah man which uh, i think is going to be a very average score i i think that's uh i i don't know i'm so defeated on this work (laughs) wait and and chase chase how how many did you get uh, i got 29 29 okay well that's a very reasonable amount of shit to do because Who's going to make it through 50 strict handstand people. push-ups? Lots of people will. Lots of people. Sure. Averagely fit people that yeah. are just good at strict handstand push-ups yeah. will make small it through. Small guys. It's, it's a small guy workout. Yeah. That's right. Dan oh, that's Bailey might crush excuse. this. Dan Bailey, you've seen his strict handstand push-ups. He only move, has a three-inch range of motion. That is correct. Yes, he's that sort of correct. just an upper body. Yeah, yeah. He's, mm-hmm. just, he's just two delts connected to he's a, a broken knee. He is a gorilla. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Good he's point. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you stopped waxing. And he hasn't been laid so <laughs> Is that, has that changed gr- i don't think so yeah i don't know how don't could know. he with his messed up his messed up his leg nah, that's a good point his leg. um i guess the uh how do you have time for fitness i guess, <laughs> uh, guess 19.3 really taught us a, 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 an interesting lesson and I, I was telling katie but katie and i went to went to brunch right after 19.3 and i ate so much fucking food and she was like are you okay I was like, yeah. Eating my feelings. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, listen, I, I I don't like being not good at something. <laughs> of course, I don't like, I don't enjoy being bad at something and like falling apart. But I executed this almost exactly how I thought the best version of me could execute this. Uh-huh. And I still wasn't that good at it. So yeah. same fam. Who fucking like it is well, what it is. I made this it, into reality. Take take solace, Armin, at least knowing that this happened to you because you genuinely haven't been working out but once a week for a while now. About uh, seven months. Keep in mind that like <laughs> certainly for for Cliff and I, there was never uh, uh, like even when we were hitting it hard six times a week. That's also what our cross. We, we had no, there was no safety net emotionally. It's just like I really threw myself at this for five years and i've got my fitness dialed in and everything time to hit these open workouts and you would 
finish behind masters athletes who are also women using the same weight. Well, yeah, man. well no, no. He, here's how I always felt good about myself and how I still do. I recognized when I was really into CrossFit and doing main side that the best times I put up were approximately, or time slash work capacity in an AMRAP was approximately half the work capacity of a good CrossFit Games athlete. Mm. So I simply thought, if I can finish this workout in only twice the time it oh, took yeah. Graham Holmberg to finish it, I'll be happy. That's right. Because Graham mm. Holmberg was a CrossFit Games champion at Well, the time. of course, generally speaking, uh, you like to measure yourself in terms of RFs, which is mm. the universal measurement of fitness. Rich Fernings. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? okay, yeah. Uh-huh. So the, the normalized universal measurement of, of fitness is mm. one RF, right? Yes. Generally speaking, if you're if you're anywhere between 0.65 and 0.85 RFs, I mean, you're fucking you're one of the fittest human beings that's yeah, ever yeah. lived. Fuck yeah! And most of the time, I think Chase really fits into that like you know 0.75 to 0.85 RF range. Yeah. In a situation like this, though, that one RF is really hard to meet. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, know? I was at a two. Yeah, point point two maybe point three on like a on like if if he yeah. had a really bad day. Do we know moment. what who are what RF got on this? Um, I'm not sure what a one RF score is on this workout, yeah. but I will tell you that I've seen multiple videos of him doing uh, strict heavy Diane unbroken. So I how heavy was the heavy three fifteen? Mm, okay. Yeah, Stupid. yeah. I watched him. Uh, there's actually you can watch that video. It's him and Matt Hewitt, and Hewitt is ahead of them, ahead of him, literally mm. until the last three reps. Like he chases Matt Hewitt down, like just a vicious hunter, watching his what prey slowly sink <laughs> sink into quicksand as he just gallops his way over and then just lops his fucking head off, which is how hunters do their thing. That's right? actually the yes. real reason why yeah. Matt Hewitt left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got murdered after that workout. It was, it was really <laughs> rest in peace. Um, Ooh, Matt Hewitt leave the team. Yeah, yeah, last year, last Seriously? year after the, after the games. So, uh, yeah, I guess I guess nineteen point three uh, really solidified the fact that none of us are quite at one RF of no, fitness nice. yet. Who is has Matt Fraser crossed into that one point one RFs yet? Matt Fraser is one hundred percent above above the line no, 1. at this 1. point. What yeah, he's he's one point one, maybe one point one one five. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> your, your box, your box could not support that dumbbell. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chase, do you have to go? I gotta go. I gotta All go. right, we're doing some cool stuff at South by Southwest for Cellucor. South by cool. Southwest. Super well, secret. Uh, cheers. Cheers. All right, Chase. Bumping mics. Bumping mics. Bumping mics. And you can. Where can we find you? Yeah, I'm at Chase504 on Instagram and YouTube. I'm gonna have that entire 19.3 video of me doing some subpar handstand push-ups mm. with. With Armin as my coach, and in the frame, uh, posted up on my up on my YouTube. For I what think. it's worth, I thought you did you executed really really well because you only failed your last rep, and that is about as good you could as you could possibly fucking go. Yeah. I mean, if you're like failing right off the bat, that's yeah. really bad. I, and if you're failing in the middle, that's really bad. But if you fail your last attempt or your last two attempts or whatever, mm-hmm. then you pretty much strategize it perfectly. I think I think my average rep speed for one strict handstand push up was about five seconds from the bottom <laughs> to the top mm-hmm. and uh my my second to last well actually my last handstand push-up mm-hmm. that i got was probably a good 11 to 12 seconds mm-hmm. yeah it was, it was it a tempo struggled yeah. i had about five seconds left kicked up failed is um, there any worse feeling than getting halfway up a handstand push-up and fighting with it for four seconds and then realizing it's not gonna happen <laughs> no there's not but uh i'll have that entire workout plus some commentary 
uh, post up on my channel, Change YouTube, check it out. Follow, Thanks, guys. subscribe. I'll see you next week. Nice. Thanks, these, dude. These nerds are going to talk nice. about True Detective. Should we pause while Chase? Yeah, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to snap my fingers and Chase is going to disappear. All right. Now so Chase is out of the apartment. Now that Chase has left and he's no longer here, let's talk about True Detective. He hadn't seen any of it anyway. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing with True Detective. A lot of people have been talking about the ending. A lot of people have been saying that they were disappointed in how it ends. I am of two minds about oh, the ending. Talk two to minds. Me. Uh, so, uh, spoiler alerts, obviously. Um, so it gets revealed in the final episode that the, uh, girl was sort of adopted by, uh, the daughter of a rich industrialist named Hoyt, who I guess, if I'm recalling correctly, couldn't have children, but wanted them or had lost a child or something. I'm trying to remember. She, uh, so the Hoyt. The, the the head mm-hmm. of the family had a daughter. Yep. That daughter got married and had a child, a yep. daughter. Mm-hmm. And her husband and daughter were killed in a car accident. Yes, right, yes, okay, yes, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens. And then, so apparently, she begins to play with the girl. That's who she, the girl was meeting in the woods. Then, subsequently, the mother essentially negotiates for her to adopt the girl and is paid off. So uh, Meryl Streep's daughter is being paid off to keep this secret. And... Um, and then the boy dying was something that happened sort of accidentally as he was trying to stop his sister from going away. Uh, he fell. What? Chase what is still fuck? here. Chase is back? <laughs> All right. Later, dude. Later, dude. All right. So, um, which is interesting. Um, and here's the thing. I really kind of like that as an ending for the series. I think it was cool. I think, and I, well, we'll get to it in a minute, I think it speaks to some very interesting themes uh, that are cultivated over the course of the series. I think the reason people are reacting negatively, and I, I think it's a potentially a valid criticism, is I really wish that some aspect of this storyline had been threaded into the series earlier because it really Mm, is entirely cultivated and executed really in the last two episodes with almost for instance if the woman who had adopted uh, the girls the, the the daughter of the rich socialite hoyt or hoyt himself or potentially uh, the, the 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 other guy with the one eye who was participating in the rules had been introduced and or extensively interviewed or were a suspect earlier in the series that we could then return to but realize it wasn't what we thought they was before, then that would be, you know, we had seen them. We had actually been able to kind of form some sort of identity for who this person is. I think that that ending would have been much more powerful because, but because all the players in it were at best alluded to in the in, in the case of the one-eyed man or kind, or just were in completely introduced in those last two episodes like the uh, the rich uh, the daughter of the industrialist it felt very disconnected uh, in, uh, it felt very disconnected narratively from what had happened previously that doesn't necessarily make it a bad ending but I think it was poorly integrated at the narrative level and just to f- kind of wrap up this point though I do like it in that I feel like that ending, was really trying to make a larger kind, a larger point um, thematically, a larger point um, uh, that I actually really do appreciate, which is the film, the, the the series teases us the whole time with how horrible the world is. It it tells us all of the dark and terrible things uh, that could have happened to uh, to uh, the girl. Julie, who I, uh, what was her name? 
Julie. Julie, the girl who was kidnapped. We are left uh, when we're seeing her, but even that she survived and that she's some person who's stealing at, in some convenience store in the mid in the '90s through line or the 1990s through line. Um, we're led to believe that. All these horrible things must have happened to her that broke her down because the world is a terrible, terrible place. And what we, what is ultimately revealed, the shocking revelation. In fact, one of the, th- I think the pink room, which is, which pops up, uh, you know, I think the second to last episode, was a fantastic reveal that honestly I think should have happened about mid-season. But the reveal of the pink room, it's scary. But the pink room very clearly implies a fate. The, the, the pink room very clearly implied the fate that, oh, she was bought by a rich man, kept prisoner in a literal vault, and probably just sexually assaulted day and night for years and years and years as some sort of weird sex slave. That, like, this worst, worst, worst case scenario is implied. And the revelation is, in fact, not only was that not the case, and despite the fact that she was a prisoner, she was treated quite well and then only broke out later, and then despite being institutionalized after that, she ultimately uh, she ultimately finds happiness. She ultimately finds a husband. She ultimately was not broken by these things that happened to her, but became an adult and with a relatively happy life and a, and a daughter of her own, and she found love and all of those things. That was a fantastic ending because it essentially is the only surprising ending and a surprising thematic place for a series to end that had been so aggressively uh, pessimistic and so aggressively nihilistic, and you can kind of finally see the full shape of the series uh, 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 revealed when that's revealed because you realize, oh, that's kind of where we were going this whole time. Realizing how shitty and terrible the world is, but realizing that despite how shitty and terrible it is, we can survive, we can persevere, and we can ultimately find happiness and be made stronger by those things. I love all of that. I think it's a great ending. I just think that the reason that there's a little bit of a disconnect with people is that all of the things that cultivated that feel like they come narratively out of left field. And if, mm. for instance, the woman who kid- who, who'd raised her had, say, been dead in the 2000 through line but alive in the 1990 through line and maybe had been cast by a, a star to play her and had been interviewed by uh, our detectives and we had seen her face so that we knew who we were referring to later on later on we had a sense yeah. of who that person was then I think the ending would have felt way 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 more connected yeah I I um the 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 fact that the sort of reveal is given through just a conversation like essentially a confession on that last episode is a little bit of a letdown but doesn't bother me and the reason why it doesn't bother me is uh i i don't mind a sort of big exposition type conversation Mm -hmm. at the end of this thing to give us an idea of what's going on because there were little hints here and there there's a lot of little things that happened throughout the first like five or six episodes mm-hmm. that kind of maybe would have pointed them in this direction to, to investigate in this direction if they hadn't had that dark nihilistic viewpoint of the world to begin <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah. And secondarily, I think the fact that it was revealed in that way, that the mystery was solved in that way, points to what the actual season was supposed to be about Mm -hmm. and that is this question that uh roland asks uh wayne a bunch of times he asks him why this case there were there were dozens of cases that never completed during your like you never solved 
a, a lot of cases, they're still open. Like, why is this the one that that stays with you? And I think the answer to that is in the very last scene of the series where uh, you, you realize that this case is the basis of his relationship with his late wife, mm-hmm. is the basis of his relationship with his family. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's the most important to him, the thing that's being taken away from him most aggressively by his disease is his family. It's mm-hmm. his relationship with his son, his daughter, and his wife. And you realize that the reason why he's so obsessed with this one case is because it is it is the prism through which his relationship started and was clarified and grew. Mm-hmm. And that that sort of like arc, I think, points out that the entire season was essentially this like fucked up love story. Mm-hmm. And it, you don't realize that you're watching a fucked up love story. You don't realize that that's what really the story, the narrative that's being told is the narrative of this man and his wife and their family. Mm-hmm. And it's being told through this investigation across these different timelines. But the reason why the entire thing matters so much to him at the end is because this thing is like it is the catalyst that started off mm-hmm. that relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess it also makes sense that he just doesn't he doesn't ever get to resolve it. Well, yeah, th- that is well, it's resolved and it's not resolved. Right. Like, I want to talk about that last scene because. Yes, I sort of agree with various of the things Kyle was saying there, but at the same time, I also view storytelling as a way of just you're laying the groundwork for moments. And the scene where he meets the girl, where all the various plot threads of everything come to that one moment is possibly one of the best scenes I've ever seen on TV, Mm -hmm. where it is... All the question that has been asked since the beginning and where all ever all all questing has led is what happened to this girl? What is her fate? And that it's still unknown to the world, but it has to be known. It has to be known and exposed to the world so that the world can finally be have this resolution here, despite the world and of course uh, Mahershala Ali's character personally. And follows a series of very loose threads which there's no way he can retrace those steps to get him to that one spot to finally solve the mystery finally and the memory issues take it away take the revelation he, away he has from no him satisfaction but yeah, yeah. but no 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 but it is satisfying because he arrives there like other times, we've actually never seen leading up to his losing time before. So this mm-hmm. is a good indication of, oh, oh, so he actually, in the other times where he popped up out of nowhere, he actually was following clues to lead him there. Anyway, but then the scene plays out, and you realize over the course of the scene, this woman is very happy, has a happy life and a happy daughter. Mm-hmm. It is best that this never get exposed. Mm-hmm. It is best that she live a happy life with her daughter. And Mahershala Ali does share a pleasant and happy moment with her. He gets to see this woman who is, in fact, the girl he's been looking for and where much of the uh, much of the dramatic weight has been, you know, is she safe? Can she be rescued? And uh, can, can, is there any way I can help her? Uh, and we realize that, no, there's no way he can help her. Mm-hmm. She is in perfectly good hands herself right now she's not in need of rescue they share a nice pleasant moment we realize that this is best for everyone 
It's and the best possible absolutely. outcome. And the idea is not only the world forgetting about it, but he is forgetting about all of the terrible things that have led him to that moment. She has moved on from the, all the terrible things in her past, and now as a result of the fact that um, the truth will not be revealed to the world, it won't be blown up, look, we finally found this long-lost girl, the world will also get to kind of forget about those things. And it's a whole, like, all the themes are integrated around... Um, forgetting about that darkness, and also tied into just being a, the 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 alternative to that is human connection. It's fa- especially family in the series, and it's not, and which is why I'm I'm and I, I've been thinking about. Um, it, I don't, it's not at all accidental that Mahershala Ali's I finally got his name right. Uh, Mahershala <laughs> Ali's um, past is about him being alone in the jungle. Like his origin story is about him being whatever they call him, a scout or something. But he basically wrote wrote uh, he roams into the jungle by himself. He's in the chaos of the jungle and he is alone. He doesn't have any human connection. He doesn't have any family. Which is what is interesting to me about the is it the final final shot? Yeah, the very last shot, yeah. is, shot is him going back into the jungle alone. And I'm wondering and I was talking with someone about what the meaning of that shot is because within the sort of um, the architecture of the motifs of the that 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 whole series that would seem to be a very pessimistic ending because being alone and being in the jungle would imply you know th- I, to me like the alternative to what all the positive ends of of, of that of, of of those motifs are connection family etc another way though to potentially interpret that ending with him walking into the jungle is maybe that aspect of himself disappearing that aspect of that trauma that's how I, that, that's why I, well, yes, I know just, yeah, that's why I'm that's why I'm going all around the world to eventually make it to that the what it actually means is that part of himself going uh, you know disappearing that the all the memories of the terrible things that happened in that jungle he's saying goodbye and walking away and then in that the ma- that we end with him and his son coming to pick him up and being able to reconnect with his family and I think that that's really every character in the movie is trying to move away from that past trauma and embrace human connection which I think is really nice that is one of the things that I really liked about this season as a whole was how it it unlike the second season of True Detective it actually shared kind of a skeleton with the first season yeah. and and the way that it presented many of the things that made the first season so delightful to watch multiple times. Um, for example, the, 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 the TV producer lady who is creating this documentary yeah. is essentially us yeah. watching this thing and trying to piece together what may what nefarious actions and worlds may have may have been involved in this thing mm-hmm. and she even brings up these two detectives in the mid 90s who yeah. solved a, 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 a statewide which was beautiful because yes, every because i watched that moment i was like holy shit they they did it they yeah, con- yeah. they they connected these worlds together we might go back to carcosa like yeah. and not only is it a red her- not only mm-hmm. is it a red herring in terms of uh, of and there being any literal connection it's also a red herring in terms of what is implied by that, because it's what happened in the first season, is um, crazy, weird sex cults with, you know, or th- at least that's heavily implied, if yeah, not like, directly stated in the first yeah. season. Oh, she was bought and sold by some rich industrialist and just Sacrificed used some satanic, and, yeah. satanic sex ritual or something. Of yeah. course, which is in itself a total red herring just because it's letting you know, man, as bad as you think it is, it's going to be even worse. And it's pushing us in that direction just so it can go back, yeah. you know? And yet, if you, if, if you recall, the ending of the first season of True Detective is a hopeful one. It's mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey's nihilistic character 
experiencing just a tangential fleeting moment of connectedness with the universe mm-hmm. after having sort of been involved with how close he came to like true evil. Yeah, yeah. And I think that idea, that sort of like upward t- turn at the end of season three where, you know, suddenly he's he's sitting on his porch. You're just expecting everything to go wrong. And he's sitting on his porch and he's watching his grandkids ride their bikes very, you know, obviously a callback to the first the first episode. Mm-hmm. And he's surrounded by his daughter who we haven't really seen before and we thought maybe there's something really bad going on mm-hmm. there but just really loves him and is out of out of the picture because she moved away. Surrounded by his his son, his best friend who he rekindled his relationship with. Exactly. Everyone's sitting on Everyone the porch. Everyone is sitting on the porch happy. being all happy and together and he has this moment of like what seems to be like a painful, shocking realization mm-hmm. where like it kind of pulls into his face and he has this like really hurt look on his face. And it could be read, I think, as a moment of like maybe realizing, oh, my God, I missed something. Mm-hmm. But I think more accurately that that look on his face is like a realization that this all pertains back to his wife and, mm-hmm. and the relationship he had with his wife. Because what we see in in the series of these this this episodes and the reason why we have these different timelines is we're given the broken pieces of his relationships mm-hmm. with his best friend and with who who isn't his best friend at first is like his his partner and his wife and his kids and everyone around him like he's given these broken pieces of relationship and at you even see you even see when he finally in the 1980 timeline loses his job and yeah, like yeah. decides to be a secretary instead of be a detective and like you know he's like uh Roland's like what about us mm-hmm. what about this mm-hmm. right what is what does this mean to you? And he's like, yeah. "What? We can't be friends. Like, we'll get a drink. We'll go watch some sports." And then, but we already know that he doesn't see him for another ten years. Yeah. He doesn't even reach out for him for ten years. Yeah. And so, I, I think that that the concept of like mirroring what happens in yeah. in the first season of like this this like moment of connectedness yeah. being reflected at the end of this season, where he finally actually comes to this realization that it's the relationships that brought all this together. Yeah. Or even he's 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 clearly he's he is a man like much like in the jungle he's you know he is a man who is going after a goal he is he is pursuing the girl but it's in pursuing the girl the reason that these the reason these things are central to his existence is not actually a pursuit of the object being the girl the reason that this case is central to his existence is through the conduit of this case he made all of the significant relationships of his life. The the friend who he used to see every day, who now that the case is over, he doesn't see anymore. The wife, who they fell in love pursuing the case, but when the case stopped being a thing, uh, he stopped pursuing it. So he's poured all of these things into the... Uh, into the case, but it was really about the people he was connected to during that whole period, which also, interestingly enough, and this is only occurring to me now, is there's also an interesting kind of meta-commentary going on with the very nature of the fact that there is a woman, the blonde woman, doing this um, this uh, like true crime, maybe kind of retro series thing. And thinking about just our obsession with things like true crime stories and all of the negativity in the world, the idea that all the people involved were all good for each other, but they were all obsessed with uh, focusing on like these, the, the implication of terrible, terrible things having happened to Julie. And at the end we realized that some bad stuff happened, but none of the terrible things that we thought were ever going to happen to Julie ever actually did happen. And instead we have this, 
interesting kind of a, 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 a thing represented by the whole idea of like a, you know the true crime documentary thing being made and obviously there's a lot of true crime series going on right now that by fixating on the bad aspects of the world are we doing that at the sacrifice of looking around at, or sacrificing our, our, our connection to other people or are being fixated on the positive things that are possible in this world yeah which is kind of cool I think I think there's there's clearly um, like uh, there's this idea that it's not all sunshine and rainbows mm-hmm. right this is not a happy story the things that happen in this story are are tragic and awful and terrible and people involved in them including our main fucking characters mm-hmm. do grotesque things yeah all in service of this of this this drive within them to you know try and mm-hmm. solve this thing whatever it is right and so there's this there's this idea of like you know, perhaps their perspective, perhaps their their skew, who they were coming into this moment, this catalyst moment of the Purcell children mm-hmm. going missing might have been not a balancing factor and pointing them in a direction to resolve it, but perhaps was something that actually spiraled everything out of control yeah. because they were they were almost blinded by what their own perspective on these things were. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think overall, I loved i really really enjoyed this season yeah. i really oh, enjoyed yeah. the turn at the end um i i felt like you know there there was such an, a fascinating message mm-hmm. to the to the entire thing of why right because the you want to be able to resolve like in the first season i'm just going to pretend like season two doesn't exist because yeah. i don't even know what the fuck i never finished it um in the first season you know why the story is being told. The story is being told mm-hmm. because Matthew McConaughey never gave up. He understood mm-hmm. that something sinister was going on, something mm-hmm. really much bigger than what they were investigating one by one. And because they had to like cover up all their shit mm-hmm. from that first time that they had they, they had the, that gunfight, he realized that it wasn't ever actually resolved. Yeah. And so he was obsessively trying to fix this thing. And so you understand, okay, well, there's a drive there. That's the, that's the why we're being told this story. And in in this season, because we're colored by that past influence, we're thinking, oh, perhaps the why of this season is because there is a greater thing. There's like a bigger evil that's being fought. Mm-hmm. And to me, the fact that it, it really boiled down to this guy and him sort of losing his relationship, mm-hmm. whether through his disease or through his actions with all the people that are most important to him in the world and trying to regain that through his like final years of like you know walking through these steps again Mm -hmm. that is such a beautiful sort of like you know distilling of of what it means to lose who you are and your memories across time and these different generational gaps of like who you were 30 years ago versus who you were 20 years ago Mm -hmm. and who was around you then and like how important those things are to you now versus the person you were then and the person you are now and what that line is between them Mm -hmm. and it was just it's just they gave the they gave the season like an extra what year and a half or two years to like cultivate and come together yeah. and be written worked and look at mm. that uh, Nick Pizzolatto actually delivered a season mm-hmm. as good as season one yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking incredible yeah fucking incredible if you had told me after season two that he was gonna be able to to bring it back I would have been like 
unbelievable. Yeah, and shout out as well to some fantastic collaborators. I don't know how long they were involved, but I, or he was involved. But uh, Jeremy Solonier, who directed several episodes, I think was involved uh, early on in the series. I'm not sure if he was involved in writing it, but uh, director of Blue Ruin and Green Room. Uh, mm-hmm. Check those out. They are really good movies, and the I feel I could feel those movies a little bit in the um, in in this season. So. Yeah, this the the acting in the season was exceptional. Stephen Dorff was fucking incredible. I hope I can't wait for this to launch the Dorfessance. The Dorfessance. The Dorfessance. Oh uh, yeah, like yeah, like John Travolta in the ni- mid '90s. He needs that. He needs yeah, that. Yeah. Coming, he's not the sexy young man anymore. Now he's the grizzled good old boy. He'll I mean, just do like, that for a while. It's like uh, it's like wrapped up with a fucking bow on it. It's like like Stephen Dorff is like I, Hollywood. You've been wondering what to do with me for several years. Look, I am now old and grizzled and tough and here's 10 hours of material to prove that i can pull it off all right now get start sending me all your old grizzled tough guy roles yeah every single every single piece of this thing came together in a really beautiful way and uh i i i for one am actually very glad that Mm -hmm. we put in the effort to watch it and and talk it through because i think it really elevated uh my experience of the thing I think the one thing that we do need from Steven Dorff now, uh, though, is him to participate, playing this, playing, uh, re- returning to one of his former characters in a reboot, a reboot call of the Gate. Oh, the I Gate. Say, I thought, I thought we were going to say with Blade. Blade. No, of course not. <laughs> I you were going to go no, Blade. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Pl- playing the same character, a reboot That's of true. the he, film. He plays the dad. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is he plays the same? He plays. He plays the same character when uh, the the Gate was a horror movie. Came out in the 80s. Watched it a bunch when I was a kid. Where basically a kid opens up a portal to uh, basically hell, and all these little demon creatures come through, and he has to fight them off, and it's badass. And so now we return to, and it's like little itty bitty eleven year old Stephen Dorff is in it. Um, and so Stephen Dorff needs to now play the dad, same character, but his son opens the gate. Hollywood, uh, you have my number. Uh, I'm ready to uh, to write this remake of The Gate, and I will accept payments in money or pre-workout or either pre-workout way. either way uh all right let's just wrap it up there that all was right. that was great mm-hmm. cool all right guys i am at mr kyle bogart on the most sensual instagram account on the internet i'm at cliff bogart on the fattest instagram account <laughs> not even P-H- remotely true p-h-a-t uh and i am at arm and hammer tv thank you so much everybody for watching uh, and listening really appreciate it. this has been a particularly long episode but i think we got into a lot of really cool stuff uh i i would like to say first off um i have uh, let's see. This is coming out on Monday. I have a very cool big announcement that is coming out this week. You fucking, uh, fucking, yeah, right. You do. It's gonna be super cool, um, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Secondarily, uh, I just wanted to thank everybody for all their support. Um, you know, I know a lot of this this episode kind of came from this concept of you know reading people uh, misunderstanding or uninformed uh, and like blasting their opinions out there. And at the end of the day, the if you watch the very first. Uh, video on my channel the entire point that i was trying to make when i started this thing was i want to participate in and start and be a part of as many conversations as possible and that's Mm -hmm. a part of it and so i'm really pumped that we actually get to do that and so i just wanted to uh shout out to everybody whether you agree or disagree um and actually you know participating in these conversations with me because that is at the end of the day what's going to drive this thing forward and actually make it work um, right. Either way, whether, whether it makes or not, to 15, mm-hmm. that's right. That's right. My brother was like, "Your 30th birthday is in April. You should do a 30 for 30 and try and get to 30,000 <laughs> by your 30th birthday." I was like, "All right, that would be a that would be a big jump, but that I, would be a yeah. massive jump." Yeah. Um, but either way, if you're watching this or listening to this, thank you so much, everybody. Really appreciate it, and we will catch you guys next time.
Later. Later.